Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to go ahead and open in prayer. God, I thank you that we as a church can gather together. We can hear your word proclaimed. I pray that your word would go forth through me today, that I would speak as your oracle. God, I pray that these words would be edifying, encouraging. Build this church up. Help us as a church to love you more, to grow more into godliness and Christlikeness. Let us be the body here on earth and let us act like it. God, I thank you for the ways that we do that already. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a child, I had some brilliant ideas sometimes, and I'm going to tell you about one of them. You see, I wanted to get the most out of my day. I was probably six years old or so, and I just really wanted to have all the time that I needed to do everything that I had to do as a very busy six-year-old, because there's a lot of stuff to do, you know? So I thought, okay, how can I do this? Now, I was a guy who liked to wake up early. I would always get up six, seven o'clock in the morning, always. I didn't need to. There's nothing to do. I mean, a lot to do, of course, but I didn't need to, but I would always like to get up early. So I was thinking, you know, if I want to get more out of my day, I can just wake up earlier. So I thought, okay. I had a little alarm clock, and I thought, I'll set it back an hour, five o'clock. I was like, well, that's not really that early. You know, it's, it's basically still six o'clock. That's basically when I get up anyway. That doesn't really add time to my day. I'll set it to four. So I went to set it to four, and I thought, you know, that's, that's basically five o'clock. And five was basically six, so I think I should set it back farther. So I put it to three, and then I had the exact same thought. So I put it to two, and I had the exact same thought. And finally, I ended up setting my alarm for one in the morning. Being the brilliant person that I am, I thought, this is going to be wonderful. I'll wake up at one o'clock, and I'll have tons of time to do everything that I want to do. I don't even know what I would have done, but I wanted lots of time to do it. So I set my alarm, and I went to bed. I had a task that I was doing that was setting my alarm and waking up early for the goal of using as much time as I could possibly use. Well, what ended up happening was it woke up my mom down the hall, and I slept right through the alarm. So she came and turned my alarm off and went back to bed and then asked me about it the next day. I never did that again, and they set a time that I had to wait till, till I got out of bed. But... In this moment, I had a task and a goal and an effort that I put into it. I didn't put a lot of effort in. I just changed my alarm, but I had a goal and a task. And since it was kind of a, a menial task, just waking up early, or goal, waking up early, I didn't put that much effort in. But as the goal and the task, as they get bigger or grander, the effort gets bigger or grander too. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see a task that Paul gives us. We're going to see a task that Paul presents to us to do, and we're going to see the goal of that task, the end result, what we want to happen from it, and then we're going to see the effort to put into this task. So we're going to see the task, the goal, and the effort. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Before we dive into those verses, though, let's look at the context, because Paul starts off and says, "'Him we preach.'" In verse 28. And so, who's the him? 
It's probably capitalized in your Bible. You probably already know, but we're going to go back and look at it already. Or anyway. He's talking about a lot of theology in chapter 1. He starts off with his traditional greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the faith that the Colossians have, what Paul has heard about the Colossians. He talks about giving thanks for the Colossians. And then he dives right into theology. And Colossians 1 actually has some very rich theology about Jesus, about Christ, about the Son of God, about God the Son. And Paul walks through this and he's just expounding theology upon theology upon theology. He's talking about Christ being the head of the church. We're in the kingdom of the son of his love. In God we have, or in Christ we have redemption. He's the image of the invisible God. He created all things. He is before all things. In him all things consist. There's a lot in this passage. A lot about Jesus. And he keeps going and he talks about the fact that we are reconciled in Christ. The fact that because of Christ, we have this relationship with God. Our relationship was restored so that our broken relationship is made whole. We are reconciled. And then he's talking about service for Christ in verses 24 and following. And that's where we pick up in verse 28. Talking about this hymn we preach. This hymn is referring to Jesus Christ. Paul is saying in this verse, the message that we preach is Jesus. It's this same Jesus that he was just giving us rich theology about. It's the same preeminent Jesus. It's the same Lord over all creation, the creator, the sustainer of all, the one who reconciled us to God. That is the content of Paul's message. So notice what it's not. It's not self-help. He's not saying the content of our message, our preaching, is about how you can have a better life. It's not about that. It's not about even how you can get to heaven. It's included in there. I don't want to make it sound like it's not. Because we did talk about being reconciled to God. But the point isn't us. The point isn't me. The point isn't you. The point is Jesus Christ. That is the point of the gospel, this message of which Paul is an ambassador And he says, we preach him. Again, this isn't just walking around proclaiming Christ, 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 just walking around saying that word over and over. It's got content. And that's what he was literally just preaching. This is the task that Paul has. But it's not just Paul. He uses the word we. It's the task that believers have, that Christians have, that all of us have to preach Christ. That doesn't just look like standing in a pulpit and preaching. Actually, Paul is going to give us two subsets of that task that we are called to do, that we as believers need to do to live out. So the main task is preaching Christ. The main task is spending our lives being ambassadors for Christ, preaching him. But Paul dives in and he gives two subsets. He says, him we preach, number one, warning, and then number two, teaching. So we preach Christ, warning, and teaching. We're going to dive into those a little deeper today. I, don't, I wouldn't usually take out the Greek word and start talking Greek to you, but I think it's important with these two words. The first one for warning is nutheo. I'd probably butchered that a little bit. I'm not really good at pronouncing Greek. But it's nutheo. And this isn't just warning like, hey, stop that. You're going to be in danger. That is included in this idea. 
And when you read the New King James, it kind of sounds like that. We're warning every man. We're warning them about danger, telling them of something dangerous that's going to happen. Again, that's included. But this word means to bring to mind. It's to bring something to your mind. But not just for no reason. It's not just to remind you of something and move on. It's to bring something to mind to call you to act based on it. It's very much an application word. It's calling you to action through truth. This is actually where we get the idea from of biblical counseling. It's from this exact word. Sometimes people call it neuthetic counseling. From this Greek word. So Paul is saying, we need to be counselors. Or at least that's how we would say it in our modern language. We need to be counselors. You could also say disciplers. We are to call people to action based on truth. And this call to action, again, it's not just vague or generic. You guys need to do something. It's personal, and it's deep, and it's intimate. This isn't just a vague, all right, all of you need to love God. This is a personal, hey, you're going through this specific situation right now. Let me tell you how the word of God applies to that. Because as we bring things to mind, we're not just bringing random things to mind, you know. We're not taking the world's ideas and saying, all right, I'm going to take this world's idea, put it in your life, and you need to live based on that. I'm not taking my opinion and reminding you of that. That's not what I'm bringing to mind. That's not what I'm calling you to live off of. That's not what I'm causing you to think about and apply to your life. I need to cause you to think about the word of God. What better words to live off of? What better words to apply to my own life and to apply to your lives as well? What better words to remind you of and say, this is how you live it out? And there are a couple prerequisites to, you know, calling someone to action in a certain situation. One of them is knowledge. I have to know what the word of God says. I cannot call you to live based on the word of God if I do not know the word of God. It's just a simple fact. You can't talk to someone about something you don't know. But it's not just knowledge of the word, it's knowledge of each other too. How can I apply the word of God to your life if I don't know you? How can I bring the word of God to bear upon your specific situation if I have no idea what you're going through? How can I encourage you to Christ-likeness in an area that you're maybe not doing so well if I don't know what you're doing? How can I comfort you in your afflictions if I don't know what your afflictions are? You have to know the person. You have to know each other. We as a body, we're not separate individual members off over here doing our own thing and having pastor preach at us on Sundays, telling us what to do so that we go out and do that. We have relationships with one another. We're connected. We're a body. As we're learning about in the evenings, we're unified. So to apply the word of God to someone's life, you have to know the word of God. You have to know each other's lives. You also have to have a relationship where you're able to say that. Because if I, all I ever say to you is, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing good. All right, bye. There's not much of a relationship there. There's not much opportunity to deliver this out, is there? Paul tells us to be warning every man, but I can't warn every man if I barely know every man. You need to have deep relationships with each other. That's what Paul calls us to do. Now, I'm going to give you a little illustration about how you need knowledge and how you need specific knowledge to live something out. 
If you've seen the Beverly Hillbillies, you're going to be pretty familiar with this one. I think that's a great show. It's an older one, I think, from the 1960s. It's a black and white show about these hillbillies. They're living out in the land, and they have a swamp, and their swamp is full of oil. And they don't like that because it messes with their hunting and their fishing and whatever, and they can't do anything with that swamp because it's just full of oil. It's just a nuisance. Well, in the first episode of that series, and some oil prospectors, some company looking for oil, comes and they want to look at the land. And these people come and they look at the land, and this guy comes running into the house and he says, your land is full of oil. And he's like, I know, I wish it wasn't. And the guy's like, well, I mean, we can take care of that for you. And he says, I don't accept favors from strangers. And he's like, no, we'll pay you to do this. He's like, you are a rich man. And he's like, are you all right? <laughs> like, he doesn't know that oil is valuable. And so this other man is bringing truth into his life and calling him to live based off of it. He's saying, hey, you have so much money on your land. Take advantage of that. That's exactly what this word is. It's something that we don't see. Maybe our swamp is full of oil and we don't know it's valuable. It's somebody coming up and saying, you have a lot of money. Act like it. That's what this word is. And you see the importance of knowledge in that too. He didn't act like he was rich because he didn't know he had the money. He didn't know oil was valuable. So you have to have these personal, deep, intimate relationships full of knowledge to call other people to respond. Then the next word that Paul uses here, the next subset of this task, is translated teaching. And that is a wonderful translation. That's exactly what the word means. It's the Greek word didasko, or it comes from that word. And that really is just teaching. It's presentation of truth. So you teach, and it's not just vague, random truth. Again, it's not just whatever you happen to be thinking about in the moment. We are called, as believers, to teach one another. And this isn't just a job for, like, the spiritually elite. It's not just a job for the pastor or for the Sunday school teachers. This isn't just a job for the missionaries, for those who are called to spend their lives teaching. Well, it is for those who are called to spend your lives teaching, but that's all of you. Paul tells us, him we preach, teaching every man. We are called to teach one another. You are called to teach each other. You are called to help one another know truth about the word of God so that you know more about God, so that you know the Bible, and then, going back to the other words, so that you can live it out, so that you can live like it. We are called to teach one another. And again, there are prerequisites to this. I can't teach you if I don't know what I'm talking about. If you want me to stand up here and teach about makeup, I'm going to have absolutely nothing to say. I know nothing about it. You have to know information before you can teach. So that means you, in your own life, need to know the Bible. Because he's not talking about teaching about mechanics. He's not talking about teaching about plumbing or about engineering. He's talking about teaching truth from the Word of God. He's talking about giving one another information and knowledge from this. You are to teach one another. So teach. Know the word of God, but also know what people need to know. You don't just walk around, again, spouting biblical information. Premillennialism, 
You don't just walk around saying that. You don't just go around talking about decrees of God. It's not just random nonsense that kind of spouts out. It's intentional, direct information that people need to know. If you see an area where someone is lacking, talk to them about it. If you see an area where somebody doesn't know what the word of God says, bring it to bear on their life. Tell them, hey, this is what it actually says. Go And don't just tell them to trust you. Show them. Take the word of God and show them what it says. We are to teach one another. And so, again, dive into the word. Don't be content to just know a little bit. Don't be fine with just knowing the surface of the word of God. Because you can't really apply very well and you can't teach very well if you don't know much. So dive in and really long to know the word. Build these relationships in the church. Don't be content just off by yourself without relationships here. We as a church are meant to have relationships, deep relationships with one another. So take the time and talk to one another. Even this week, find one person that you don't normally talk to and say hi. Start a conversation. Don't walk up to them and start trying to teach them everything you know about the Bible, but just start a relationship. And then as things come up, help them apply it. Help them know. What would the church look like if everybody was doing this? If everybody was applying and everybody was teaching into everybody's lives? That would be a wonderful place. I mean, this is a wonderful place. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying, think about how great that would be. So that's our task. This is the task. In preaching Christ, we are to apply the word of God to each other's lives, and we are to teach one another truth about the word of God. Then, Paul tells us about the goal. Why are we doing this? Why do we teach? Why do we apply? Well, in the second half of verse 28, he says, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This is the goal. So notice, one, the sphere of the goal. It's every man. And I kind of skipped over that in the first half of the verse. It's warning every man. It's teaching every man. And then it's the goal is for every man This is a goal for every single believer in the church. Now, we see from later on, because the goal is maturity in Christ, that it's probably not referring to unbelievers. It's not this command specifically is for the church talking to the church. But every man in this church needs to get built up. Every man in this church is the recipient of this teaching, of this warning. There is no person here who is exempt from doing it or receiving it. There's no person in this room, no member of this church who is apart from this teaching and from this warning. It is every single man. And it's not a bad thing that you're not exempt. It's wonderful. What if Paul had said every man except for that person you don't like over there? Well, that person you don't like over there isn't going to be built up at all. What if Paul had said every man that fits this description, every individual that has these characteristics, then the church is going to be really lopsided. Some people getting this warning, some people getting this teaching, and others not. The fact that you cannot and should not be able to escape from this teaching, from this application, this counseling, is wonderful. Because it means you are in a place where you should be being forced to grow, almost. People around you are walking up to you, 
helping you grow. And that's wonderful. You cannot be exempt from this. But the goal itself is to present every man how? It's perfect. Now this has a couple things, again, that it doesn't mean. We are not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but you're still a sinner. You still sin. You still rebel against God. And you will be doing that until you die. But Paul isn't just saying, present every man perfect. Well, everybody's going to be perfect eventually, so what's the point? He doesn't just say, all of us who are saved are going to end up perfect, glorified, free from sin. So therefore, there's no point in doing this. Sorry, never mind. The goal is maturity. It's completeness. And that's, that's what the word perfect means. It's complete. We are striving to help one another reach that mark of completion, of Christ-likeness. We are to strive as a body to help one another get built up closer and closer and closer to the standard of Christ-likeness. Think about what Christ did on earth. Not necessarily the specific things he did, but how he did it. I don't think we need to go out and start telling people to cast their nets on the other side of their boat. I don't think we need to start breaking bread until we have thousands of pieces. But we do need to live in a way that is honoring to God at every moment. We do need to live in close fellowship and communion and relationship with God every single day, every single moment of every single day. We do need to cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. We do need to be holy for he is holy. We cannot be perfect on this earth. But that is not a cause for not trying. Rather, as we see the standard of Christ-likeness, that should be all the more reason to be diligent in our effort, to teach and admonish one another more zealously, more fervently, more regularly, more consistently, because we know that we want to be closer to Christ. We want to be more like Christ here on this earth. We can't reach that standard perfectly, but we can try as hard as we can to get it. That is the standard. It is completion in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, in Christ Jesus, this doesn't happen outside of Christ. This doesn't happen without Jesus' work in your life. If you're not saved, there's no growth to happen. A dead person doesn't grow. And if you're not saved, you're dead in your sins. So you have to be in Christ Jesus. You have to be in the sphere of his saving grace, of his blessings. You have to be a son or daughter of God, before this can happen. And also think, this should shape the way that you teach and that you counsel or disciple or apply. It should shape the way that you do that. Because now we have a purpose to it, right? It's not just applying for the sake of applying. It's not just teaching for the sake of teaching. It's teaching and applying so that people will be closer to Christ-likeness. And that should shape both the content of what we say to people and the delivery. If you are complaining about your work, I'm not going to walk up to you and start talking about the Genesis account of creation because I don't think that's necessarily the most helpful thing for you right now. I'm not going to start defending premillennialism from 1 Thessalonians when you're having a hard day. I don't think that's what you need right now. 
Because I have the goal of building you up into Christ's likeness, because I have the goal of presenting you perfect in Christ Jesus, I go to you specifically with what you need in that moment. So I know the word of God and I say, you're complaining. This is what the Bible says about complaining. But it also shapes the way that I do it. I don't just walk up and say, hey, stop complaining. That's sinful. The Bible says so. I do it in a loving way because I want to help them. Because I want to help you grow and be built up. I talk to you and I confront you on sin in a loving way. Because I want you to grow and to be built up, I encourage you in a kind and gentle and loving way. Because I want you to mature. It shapes what we say and how we say it. It gives purpose to what we do. And we know that goals give purpose, but I'm going to give an illustration of that. So I really like The Lord of the Rings. And it's if you watch the movies, I recommend reading the books, but if you watch the movies, it's a bit easier to picture this. You see more clearly the difficulties and the hardships that Frodo goes through trying to get the ring to Mount Doom. You see, his goal is to destroy this one little ring because he wants to save Middle-earth. And the only way to save Middle-earth is to destroy that ring. He's leaving behind him quiet and peaceful and easy life as a hobbit in the Shire. That's what he's leaving behind him. It's green and nice, but he is pressing forward because of the goal that he has. If his goal wasn't so grand, he wouldn't really press forward that much, right? If you see the movies, he goes through a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulties, till he's walking across the burning lands of Mordor, going to this volcano called Mount Doom, collapsing from the fatigue. And he didn't turn around because he knew what his goal was. He kept that goal in mind. So you, in, in your work here in the church, teaching and applying and counseling one another, it can get hard sometimes. It's uncomfortable talking to someone about maybe a sin that they're struggling with. It's uncomfortable trying to encourage somebody who's been really down. You have to go out of your way to do that. It doesn't come naturally to us. But the goal is more than worth it. Because we do that to help build one another up into Christ-likeness. Because we love one another as the body of Christ. What a wonderful goal that is. So even when it's hard to go and talk to somebody, even when it's hard to build a relationship with someone, even when it's hard to confront someone or to encourage someone, you have this goal. Keep that in mind and live this out. Keep that in mind and do this. So as you talk to people, as you build these relationships, build them intentionally. Build them with these principles in mind and build them living these out. So then, Paul goes to the effort that he puts in this. And really, that's an example for us. So we saw the task, preaching Christ, through counseling or discipling, through teaching. We saw the goal, we do this task to build one another up. And now we're going to see the effort, how much we do this task. Paul says, to this end, I also labor. Just starting right there, Paul's saying, I'm not calling you to do something that I'm not doing first. He says, I'm doing this too. I'm saying that we preach Christ, teaching and admonishing. I am laboring. 
I am putting hard effort into this for the same goal. I'm not calling you to a goal that I don't have. My goal is to build you up into Christ's likeness. My goal is to present every one of you perfect in Christ Jesus. That's my goal. I am laboring for this. He's giving us the example of himself. Again, Paul isn't telling us to do something that he's not doing first. He's not standing up here as a hypocrite saying, I want you to do this, but I'm not gonna. He's saying, do this. I am doing it. And he says, I am striving. Striving isn't just hoping something happens, waiting for it to fall into my lap and then taking the opportunity. It's effort. And you can see effort in a lot of ways, but I think a clear picture of that is in weightlifting. The world record deadlift from 2016 to 2020 was 1,102 pounds, picked up off the floor all the way up to your, to your waist. Eddie Hall did that. And you can see the video of him doing it. He's not just kind of walking up to the bar and like, you know, I hope this gets up. He's walking up there focused and intent. And when he grabs that bar, he is straining. It takes him several seconds to get those 1,102 pounds all the way off the ground and all the way up till he completes the lift. And he is working and straining and putting everything he has into that moment. That's what striving is. That is striving. It's, it's putting everything you have into this and trying as hard as you can. Putting real effort, straining to do this. That sounds weird about something where we're just talking to one another, right? How do you strain and strive if you're just applying the truth? If you're just telling somebody something about the Bible? Well, it's, it's not just hoping that it happens. It's like I said before, you go seeking it out. Not like looking into people's lives and saying, where have you been sinning recently? <laughs> You're not going up to them and trying to figure out all their secrets so that you can tell them how the word of God goes into their life. But you build these relationships and as things come up, you don't just ignore things. You don't just see an area this person is struggling and fail to encourage them. You don't just see an area where this person is maybe a little less than godly and fail to call them to Christ-likeness. You see these areas and you act on it in all your relationships in this church. All the time. And that's hard work. Because again, you have to know the Bible and you have to know how it applies. You have to do it in an effective way where you're not just shutting them off to you, but where you're furthering the relationship by helping them. That's hard work. But then Paul goes a bit farther. He says he's striving. Then he says it's according to something. It's based on something. It's founded in something. It's according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul's work isn't just based on Paul's work ethic. Paul's diligent effort in the church isn't based on his abilities as an apostle. It's not based on his great oratorical skills or his logic or his debating. It's not based simply on his incredible knowledge of the word of God. That's not what it's based on. Because not all of us have that, right? I think none of us in this room are apostles. None of us were Pharisees growing up, I think. 
So none of us probably know the word of God like he did. We don't have that same knowledge and we don't have that same foundation. We don't have the same training that he had, but that's not what it's based on. He doesn't do this because he has been trained for so long. He does this because God is at work in his own life. And hopefully that is true for each and every one of you here today. That is what all of the church has in common. And that is the common foundation that we have to commonly teach and disciple one another. God is at work in my life and God is at work in your life. And that is how I can do this. God both equips me for this and calls me to this. It's not one or the other. And notice how Paul describes God's work in his life. He says, it works in me mightily. God does a mighty work in your life. Don't ever forget that. You're not somebody that God kind of worked on. There's nobody in this room, if you're saved, that God has only slightly done a bit of work in. God works mightily in our lives. And think about how mighty that is. I was brought from death into life everlasting. How much more mighty can you get? And not only that, but this broken, awful sinner was given grace for each day so that I can mature in godliness and grow in Christ-likeness. How mighty a work is that? I could never accomplish that. You get the mightiest man on earth and he's not going to be able to do that for himself. He's not going to get himself from death to life and he's not going to be able to make himself mature. That is a mighty work. And that's what God is doing. And think about how freeing it is that I can't accomplish this. I I don't work in myself mightily. Because if I did... If I tried to, I would never have time for any of you. I would be spending all of my time teaching and applying to myself with the hope that maybe I would have a little bit of growth. But because I know that God is at work in me mightily, it frees me to do my best effort for God, knowing that he's working in you mightily as well, and to bring the word of God to bear upon your life, to tell you what the word of God says, because I know God's working, because I know that he's accomplishing what he's going to accomplish. It's so freeing to just think that God is doing the work. I can never do it, and that is wonderful. Because I know a guy who can. And I know a guy who is. So trust God's work. This takes trust. If I think that nobody is ever going to respond to what I tell them, I'm never going to talk to anyone. If I think that I can't build a relationship with somebody, I'm not going to build a relationship with them. But as I trust God, as I trust his work, I can. So trust God. Pray for God to help you trust him. Because you can't trust him by yourself. Pray for God to help you do this task. Because you can't fulfill this task by yourself. You can't strive for this goal by yourself. So pray for God. Pray earnestly for God to help you Disciple and teach one another. And then be intentional about doing it. Paul doesn't say God works in me mightily and works, God works mightily so I'm not going to do anything. He says I work really hard because I know that God works. So you work hard at this. Be intentional at doing this task. In soccer, there's a team. Well, there's more than one team. Usually they're against each other, but... On your team, there's a bunch of people that all work together. 
They have a common goal, and that's to win the game. And they help each other do that. There's the coach who's, who tells them what to do, and he helps train them and teach them. But really, a lot of it is on the team level as well, the players helping each other. If I see that you're kicking with bad form, maybe the coach isn't going to see that because he's looking at 30 people. But I walk over and I help you see that. You work together, and as the team works together, if the team is a team and they work together and they help each other grow in their soccer skills, suddenly you get a lot better team. As they build relationships with each other and as they help each other grow in soccer, their skills of soccer grow a lot. Well, I want you all to be a good soccer team, but not with soccer, with this. Don't just hear the coach, God, telling you what to do. I mean, hear that, listen to that, obey that, do that. But talk to each other as well. Remind them of what God said. Help each other grow. That is our task as Christians, and that is a wonderful task.